You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now we wait. A lot of us around the Rockets, certainly myself, were expecting to wake up this Thursday knowing their round two opponent and begin preparations for Sunday's game one at Oracle Arena against the two-time defending champion Golden State Warriors. And at least to this point, that can't happen because unlike the Rockets, who took care of business in Wednesday night's game five to close out their series four games to one over the Utah Jazz, we've already had a full post-game recap of that if you want X's and O's analysis of how the Rockets got it done, largely on the defensive side of the floor. A lot of us anticipated that the Warriors in the second half of the doubleheader would do the same thing, and then we'd be talking about the rematch, Houston and Golden State, the seven-game epic Western Conference Finals from a year ago, and this being part two of that. Well, we can't officially get to that yet, because unlike Houston, Golden State did not shut the door, instead falling in Game 5 stunningly to the Clippers, and now, while the Rockets, at least for now, are resting in Houston, the Warriors are practicing today and getting ready for a Game 6 on Friday night in Los Angeles, and of course, the result of that will dictate whether the Rockets-Warriors series starts on Sunday, as we've been planning for a while, or if it gets pushed to Tuesday, because somehow the two-time defending champions have a Game 7 against the 8th seeded Clippers. What an amazing story that would be, and it's hard not to see it as a break for the Rockets. Anyway, as far as what that means logistically, tactically, also any matchup tells, and we'll also take a bit of a look today at the other side of the Western Conference playoff bracket. Effectively, last night was our show focused on the Rockets in particular. This will be looking at the rest of the Western Conference playoff bracket and what it means now that the Rockets are entering a period with at least three consecutive off days, potentially more than that. Anyway, today's show, those are what we're going to be looking at here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily podcast analysis on everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. As we chat this Thursday afternoon, the Rockets are completely off today. They will return to practice tomorrow, and that's because they could have a game one as early as Sunday. They're resting today because even though they won the series in five games over the Jazz, it took a lot out of them. The Jazz, they make you work. Quinn Snyder, Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors, they're big, they're long, they're physical, and even though it was a five-game series, it did not feel easy at all. So the Rockets, they need to get better. They need to rest up. James Harden had a tough series physically. He took a pounding, and Clint Capella, besides just the normal pounding of going up against Rudy Gobert, dealing with a combination of virus, a respiratory infection, he has not been right. He had 16-10 and 10 in the Game 5 closeout, so hopefully he's getting better, but he certainly needs more than anything rest. And now that's what the Rockets will get, as opposed to having to go back to Utah. Now they get at least three games off, or, or three days off, excuse me, before game one of the second round. And we still don't know when it will begin, because a lot of it hinges on, or all of it, what happens in game six between the Warriors and the Clippers. Because we do know the Warriors will be playing in that 2.30 ABC slot on Sunday afternoon. What we don't know is whether it'll be game seven of the first round series with the Clippers, or game one 
against the Rockets. So Houston, they have to prepare because the game is not until late Friday night, game six that is, between the Warriors and the Clippers. The Rockets have to prepare as if there's a game on Sunday. Friday is the one day that they know they're going to be in Houston and that will probably be their most intense practice. And they have to prepare as if the Warriors will win that game and they will be favored by a healthy amount for a reason. The Clippers are an eight seed. The Warriors are the two-time defending champions and probably the most talented team ever assembled. So the Rockets have to prepare Friday as if there's going to be a game on Sunday afternoon. And if there's not, and that means that the Clippers force the Warriors to a game seven, then that would delay the start of the Rockets round two series against the winner until next Tuesday. And you just treat that as a happy surprise and think the Rockets will happily cross that bridge if and when they come to it. As far as what it means looking forward, I still have a hard time seeing the Clippers win that series. They did shock me last night. But look, the Warriors are just a much more talented team. I think part of the issue we heard from Klay Thompson after the game, who admitted that he was focused on the Rockets and looking forward, at some point, talent will win out. I hope it's Game 7 rather than Game 6, but I can't see a world in which the Clippers beat the Warriors. I would love to eat crow and be wrong on that. I still think it is incredibly likely that Golden State is your Round 2 opponent. However, what this has done is give the Rockets a fairly substantial edge from a rest perspective entering that series, and especially the first two games. So to me, that's the primary takeaway. It's actually fairly similar to the second round a year ago for the Rockets. If you remember, they closed out their round one series against the Timberwolves in five games, and then their round two opponent, the Jazz, they had to play late Friday night, game six against the Thunder to close out that series, and then very short turnaround, fly to Houston the very next day for the start to that next series in the 2.30 ABC slot on the following Sunday. That was Utah at Houston. And from there, the Rockets jumped on the Jazz early. They were up by 30 before the break, and they coasted in game one, and the Jazz just never seemed to have their footing underneath them. And in fact, it was a schedule loss. Now, it wouldn't be quite as exaggerated in this case because, first off, the Warriors would be at home as opposed to the Jazz being on the road. That will definitely help provide a little bit more of a kick. And also, the plane flight from Los Angeles to San Francisco, not nearly as prohibitive as going from Salt Lake City to Houston. So it's not quite the same as a year ago, but it's certainly a very short turnaround time and probably going to be a lot of tired legs if they do go through a practice on Saturday. So it's hard not to see it as an advantage for the Rockets. And if Houston is going to have a logistics edge based on rest in this series, they need to take advantage early on. Because round two, it's not like round one because there are only four series. You generally settle into an every other day routine. It's not going to be like round one because you're trying to have each game in its own TV spotlight. So you have Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday. No, round two and beyond. It's generally every other day. You might have one travel day where you get two days off in the middle of it, but you're generally not going to have as much rust. So by the time it gets to game three, game four, and beyond, both teams, they're going to be exhausted. It's going to be a tough series. They're going to be playing every other day, and you're probably not going to see a long-term mileage effect because everybody's going to be emptying the tank in this series. If there's going to be an opportunity, a window for the Rockets to have a rest win and get something because they are fresher, it should be early on. And I think it's imperative that they do because really, if you lose the first two games, I know there's the old saying that a series never starts until the road team wins a game. But if you lose the first two games, even if you're the road team, that means to win the series, you've got to win four of the next five. That's really tough. And that's why I said in round one, when Houston took its first two at home against the Jazz, 
even though the Jazz were going to be better at home, which they were, having to beat any opponent, especially an elite one in the playoffs, four times out of five is really, really tough because you can lose one game even if you play well just because you have a couple of bounces go the other way, you're really cold shooting as the Jazz were in Saturday's game three when they largely outplayed the Rockets for key stretches of that game. But despite James Harden shooting three of 20 and starting 0 of 15, Houston found a way to hang around and they stole the game at the end. So if Houston goes down 2-0, then to me, the series isn't over because, yeah, conceivably, you can come back to Houston, win the next two games, and then make it a best of three. I certainly would not count the Rockets out. They've overcome a lot this season. That said, Golden State has a way of smelling blood. I think back to the 2015 Western Conference Finals. The Rockets lost the first two at Oracle Arena, but both were closer than expected. I believe both were within five points. One went down to the wire. There's a turnover when the Rockets are down two in the final seconds, and everyone said, look, when this thing gets back to Houston, if the Rockets are this close at Oracle, what's going to happen when they get to Houston? Well, what happened, the Warriors smelled blood. They played really well. Harden had an off-night shooting, and they won game three in a blowout. Now, Houston didn't get swept. They won game four, but at that point, you're down 3-0. You're not coming back against the Golden State Warriors. So beyond just the rest angle, which I think if that's going to be an advantage for the Rockets, and on paper it should be, Again, it's going to be most pronounced in the first two games. You need to take advantage. Maybe it's game two instead of game one, because I could see a shot of adrenaline if the Warriors go into game one. They come off what is going to be a bit more exciting series win against the Clippers than any of us anticipated. Maybe it's game two. But either way, the Rockets, from a rest perspective, if they want to take advantage of this gift, which it is, the Warriors series going on while the Rockets rest, then they need to go out and take one of these first two games. And beyond that, just mechanically, how do you win four out of seven? It's tough to see the Rockets beating Golden State four out of five. I don't care where the games are played. They are that good. They are that talented. The way this series likely goes, in my opinion, you think back to a year ago. The Warriors took one of the first two in Houston, and then Houston took one of the next two in Golden State, and then you had a best of three. I think that's a lot more reasonable than recipes that depend on winning both games, especially on the road. Or in the Rockets' case, if you drop both on the road, then at home. It's just really tough when you give yourself no margin of error against a team like that. So I think it's imperative that the Rockets, to really have a chance in this series, I don't really see it as taking home court because technically it'd be true if you won the first two games, you have home court, but then you give it back as soon as you lose a home game. That's probably going to happen. It's not so much about taking home court because that'll go back and forth throughout the series. And really, the Warriors, they're now one and two at home in the playoffs. It's not so much about that. It's more about making it to where the math is not so daunting that you have to win four or five to win the series. So getting it done early is going to be a priority for the Rockets. And now if they have the rest advantage going into the series, they should have every opportunity to do so. So that's why I'm pretty bullish going into this series. I think that's a big advantage for the Rockets. One of the big questions I've had is how do they overcome not having home court advantage the way they did a year ago and perhaps being able to steal a game by virtue of being more rested, more fresh, entering the first couple of games of the series. That might be the ticket to doing so. It won't be as easy as the Utah game won a year ago because, again, they're on the road. Golden State's going to be at home. But it's certainly an advantage, and it's one that I was not anticipating going into last night's action. So on the balance, it's hard not to see that as a positive development for Houston. As far as the matchups are concerned, again, I don't want to extrapolate too much because everything is apples and oranges from one team to the next in the NBA playoffs. However, there is one player in particular that I'm intrigued by and encouraged from the standpoint of having the Rockets 
beat the Warriors four times out of seven, and I'll tell you who that is and why I'm momentarily on the other side. For now, I do want to remind you guys that in order to get this show every day, please subscribe to Locked on Rockets on the new Himalaya podcast app. In this ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlist and new features each and every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Rockets. Now, jumping back into the program, this our Thursday show, looking back at Wednesday's results, aside from the Rockets, that of course being largely Golden State's home loss to the Clippers, which extends that series to a game six. And because of that, we don't know who or when the Rockets round two series will be against. It could be still the Clippers, not just the Warriors. That's a possibility, although I think it's a very, very small one. More importantly, we don't know when, because if the Warriors series goes to game seven, then Game one of the second round series is pushed back from Sunday, which is currently slated for until Tuesday. So there's a lot of moving parts to the schedule. It's not set yet. The Rockets will return to practice tomorrow. But as far as their itinerary, that's still up in the air, depending on what the Warriors do against the Clippers. At a bare minimum, what we know, whether it be Sunday afternoon or Tuesday night, the Warriors will have substantially less rest than the Rockets will going into that series, and so it should enable the Rockets to get off to the fast start that, in my opinion, they need. Now, again, it's not set that it's the Warriors. It could be the Clippers. I'm just looking ahead to Golden State because they are still overwhelming favorites for a reason. If the Clippers pull off one of the greatest upsets in sports history, I'll be happy to, number one, say I'm wrong, and secondly, at that time, go back and look at the Rockets-Clippers matchup and how Houston, who would then actually have home court advantage against the Clippers, of course, as the eighth seed, the Rockets would start the series in Houston. If that happens, we'll get to that next week. As far as the Rockets and the Warriors, which is still the likely scenario, in segment one of our usual three-part show, we looked at the ramifications of the schedule and the opportunity that gives the Rockets within the first couple of games of that series, now that they're going to have more rest. Here in segment two, I want to look at a different angle of it, which is what we're seeing on the court from the Warriors and one of the reasons why this has been a bit more of a struggle for them than anticipated. Now, early in the Clippers series, we know they lost Boogie Cousins, likely for the postseason, with the quad injury. And so since then, there's been a bigger role for Andrew Bogut, who stepped in and was a bit of a revelation in Game 3 when the Warriors avenged that 31-point loss they blew in Game 2. They blew the doors off the clips in L.A. Bogut went into the starting lineup in place of Cousins, and everything looked so good. Since then, it has not. Bogut is a combined minus 23 in his last two games, and in Wednesday's Game 5, he was minus 15 in just 17 minutes and could not stay on the floor. And I'm sure some of you are thinking, Ben, why are you talking so much about a 34-year-old Andrew Bogut? He's just as unathletic and plotting as a 36-year-old Nene. The reason I am intrigued by him, he is the one new piece. Now, personally, I've always been skeptical. Bogut didn't join until very late in the season, joining them in basically the international window coming over from Australia. And even if he's healthy, again, it's all relative to the age. And then when it comes to the Rockets and the Warriors... As far as the switching scheme that's often necessary against the way Houston attacks and prefers to isolate, it's tough to see Andrew Bogut holding his own on the perimeter against the likes of Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon, etc., etc. He is a rim protector, not as good and not as big as Rudy Gobert, so certainly I don't think James Harden will be nearly as bothered as he was in the Round 1 series. But the main reason I was concerned about Bogut, again, I understand that logically you would think it would be tough for him to stay on the floor that much in the Houston matchup. But the reason that I was a little bit worried 
is because he's new. There's not tape of Bogut against the Rockets this season. There's not tape of Bogut against them last season in the Kevin Durant era. It's something new that, first off, because the Rockets haven't prepared for it before, it's possible that early in the series there could be an adjustment to him that even if it just costs you, say, half of one game where he makes a few plays, at the end of the day, the margins really can be that thin. That can be the difference between winning and losing the series. So I was a little bit worried, and to some extent, that's still there. But more than just early in the series, how do the Rockets adjust to the Bogut factor? It's more, is there something that we're not seeing? Because as mentioned, when the Warriors lost Boogie Cousins, the reason that I saw that as an advantage for the Rockets is because it's secured that this year would truly feel like a rematch of last year. Whereas Cousins, he's a different dynamic, and perhaps the things that worked so well a year ago wouldn't work if you had that as the counter. Now again, I was not expecting Bogut to be anywhere near that same dynamic, because on paper he doesn't profile anywhere near as daunting as Boogie Cousins does. But sometimes the games are not played on paper. Sometimes there are small sample size flukes or bad matchups. And the key thing with Bogut, it was just the fear of the unknown. And with him having a pretty good game three, although really everybody did for the Warriors in that one against the Clippers, I'm not going to say it didn't cross my mind that, hey, maybe this is better for them. Well, now the last couple of games, it's seeming pretty clear that the Clippers, they're exploiting him. And if he's struggling against the Clippers guards, just imagine what's going to happen against Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon. Now, does that mean that the Warriors are all of a sudden easy to beat? No, of course not, because they'll play a lot of Kevon Looney against the Rockets. They could dust off Jordan Bell. Those guys played a lot last year. Looney in particular was really good against the Rockets. They could also go small with Draymond at the five. All of that is perfectly viable, but the reason I'm not afraid of that is that we have seen the Rockets go toe-to-toe with the Warriors a year ago with those lineups. So they know how they want to play against them. No one is going to be surprised. The Rockets know going in what they need to do against those lineups. The reason Bogut gave me just a little bit of apprehension is that he is something new. He is something that is not the same as a year ago. And perhaps even if it's just for a game or two while the Rockets sort out how to best attack him, if he was in rhythm, then there could be a certain fear of, okay, how do we handle this? Because it's not quite the same as a year ago. Well, now that Bogut is struggling and the Warriors seem to be trying to get him off the floor earlier than ever, to me, it's becoming clear that this is a rematch. There's nothing dramatically different about these two teams this year. And for the Rockets, I think there's a lot of comfort in that. Now, if you're going to go a step beyond Bogut, the Clippers have shot so well at the rim in this series. Montres Harrell has been going off. And perhaps you could see Kenneth Fareed, who I've called a poor man's Montrose Harrell before, having a role. I'm a little bit skeptical of that because Harrell has come so far, even relative to his time in Houston a couple of years ago, at improving his awareness defensively. Fareed played just five minutes and three minutes, respectively, in the last two games against Utah. And while he was an impact player in the win at Oracle, that was in February when he started alongside Clint Capella, he was exploited a lot in the March loss at Toyota Center to the Warriors. So even though Fareed profiles in terms of a slightly smaller than average five, but very energetic, can finish at the rim, perhaps 
against a Warriors front line that's not as athletic as it was in years past. Perhaps that can profile well and get you a couple of putback jams, but I don't want to go too far down that road because Fareed really struggled late in the series against the Jazz, and I don't think he's anywhere near as advanced on the defensive end as Montrezl Harrell is. You can see some of the same physical characteristics, and I would at least keep an open mind to it. However, I'm not going to treat it as, well, because Montrezl Harrell is doing this, I think now that means that Kenneth Fareed's going to go off in the next round. That's a little thing I'm looking at, but to me, the biggest storyline is Bogut because he's the one new piece, and if he is not playable, then all of a sudden this series looks very similar to the way it looked a year ago, and that's been my biggest takeaway from watching Warriors Clippers, especially in Game 4 and Game 5. Andrew Bogut is not a real factor, and if that's the case, then all of a sudden Rockets Warriors 2019 is going to look an awful lot like Rockets Warriors 2018. Also, one final note on Golden State's home court that I should have mentioned in our first segment when we discussed why it's so imperative for the Rockets to win one of those first couple of games at Oracle. Beyond just the fact that Houston doesn't need to be in a scenario needing to win four or five to win the series, I do think that there's some doubt creeping in to Golden State about just how much of an advantage their home court really is. That's another thing where, again, I don't look at the X's and O's so much of, okay, how does a certain player or a certain grouping or set work against the Clippers and then extrapolate for how it's going to work against the Rockets. The same reason Houston shouldn't say that about how they played against the Jazz and then extrapolate to what it's going to look like against the Warriors. It's all matchups. That said, there are some broader themes. Again, Andrew Bogut, because there's no tape on him against the Rockets, there's really not much tape on him against the entire league. So trying to sort through what we know there, that's a big deal. Also, just from a general home court perspective, Look, Golden State this year, their biggest competition, the top four teams in the East, Toronto, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, they were 0-4 at home against them this season. Against the Rockets, they were 0-2. That's 0-6 against true contenders, and I really don't see Denver and Portland as legit contenders at this point. So you could easily argue that against their best competition, they went winless at home this year. And now they're 1-2 in the playoffs. So even if you want to say, well, it's the regular season, how much do they care? Okay, well, they're 1-2 in the playoffs at home. To me, that makes it even more imperative that the Rockets go in there and take at least one of those first two games to cement the fact that, hey, Oracle Arena is not what it used to be. Because the odds are to win this series, the Rockets are probably going to have to win a Game 5, a Game 7 on the road. They don't have the advantage they did a year ago. So to me, the Warriors, you do want to chip away at their confidence. And while I don't think that X's and O's, anything that's happening against the Clippers is necessarily going to translate to how Golden State fares against Houston. At the same time, I do believe that confidence-wise, if they lose at home the way they've been doing and then they fall again in Game 1 or Game 2 in the next series, yeah, at some point, that advantage is not going to be as big psychologically as it's been. I don't care what the history is. We have seen this over and over again. Good teams are going into Oracle Arena and winning. So to me, that further bolsters what we said off the top, which is that those first two games are so critical. The Rockets are going to be rested. They have every opportunity. They have every need, because if they don't win one of the first two, at least, they'd have to win four or five to win the series. And beyond that, just from a confidence perspective, I do think the Warriors have to be at least a little rattled, not a lot, but at least having some doubt. And the Rockets need to keep that going by taking one of those first two games. All right, now closing out the show here at Lockdown Rockets, spent the first two segments of our Thursday show looking at the Warriors Clippers series, lessons to be learned from that as the Rockets get ready for round two against the winner 
of Golden State and Los Angeles. Here in segment three, we're going to look at the other side of the Western Conference playoff bracket, which now features the San Antonio Spurs, the Denver Nuggets, and the Portland Trailblazers. The Oklahoma City Thunder, who beat the Rockets three times out of four this season. Fortunately, they have already been eliminated in five games by Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers, who await the winner of the Spurs and Nuggets. Their game six is in San Antonio tonight. The Nuggets lead three games to two. Nuggets win that, then it's a two-seed Denver against the three-seed Portland beginning this weekend. So, as far as what I'm cheering for and what's best for the Rockets, at this point, I think Portland is the most daunting of the three simply because they have the highest upside player in Damian Lillard. We know the matchup advantage that the Rockets have had on the Nuggets and the Spurs, they're the seventh seed. The Rockets, in addition to matchup advantages, Harden went for 61 the last time against them and Houston won three or four this season, while the Rockets would have home court advantage in that setting as well. So to me, Portland with Damian Lillard, and they also beat the Rockets two times out of three this season, although they were all very early on, well before the All-Star break. I think if you beat Golden State, the Rockets losing to any of those three would be extremely disappointing, to say the least. But of the three, to me, Portland, because of the Lillard factor, went for 50 and an iconic 37-foot walk-off buzzer beater in the Game 5 closeout over Oklahoma City. To me, they're by far the most daunting. So I think the biggest priority is, can you knock them out in Round 2? And it's really tough to say, because the Spurs have actually played Portland pretty well this year, and Denver... The last week of the year, it was so uneven. They had every incentive to win that Friday game at home against the Blazers. They barely did. So I actually don't think it's as clear-cut as many people make it out to be that the Nuggets necessarily have a much better opportunity against the Blazers than the Spurs do. I actually lean slightly to the Spurs because at least in that scenario, the reality is Denver would have home court over Portland. San Antonio would not. So that's a feather in the Nuggets cap. Perhaps that evens things out. The flip side is that if you view Portland as the better team based on Lillard, and I do, then the Spurs, the Nuggets, they're going to be underdogs no matter who has home court. So in my opinion, if you're cheering for an underdog to win and you're the Rockets, why not cheer for the underdog that you would have home court advantage against, which in the case of the Spurs, they would in the Western Conference Finals. So it's unlikely definitely for the Spurs to win the last two of this series against the Nuggets and then to beat the Blazers after that without having home court advantage in any of it. But as long as we're talking about upsets, I still see the Spurs as the ideal scenario for the Rockets. So I slightly lean to that, but if they don't close it out and as the series has moved along, the Nuggets just have a lot more playmakers, a lot more depth of scorers. If Denver moves on, then to me, the matchup advantage that Houston has had on Denver winning three or four this season, we've talked about it a lot, Clint Capella against Nikola Jokic, that is a lot better for the Rockets than going up against Jamie Lillard and the Blazers, a team that took two or three from Houston this season. So to me, I still think I'm cheering for San Antonio over Denver, but if you twist my arm, you could say that Denver with home court might have a better shot to knock out Portland than San Antonio does. And if that's the case, then cheer for Denver. In my opinion, Spurs Nuggets, it's not really a huge deal for the Rockets. The bigger priority is just the winner of that. I would love for them to take out Portland. Now, the Rockets would still be favored over Portland. I'm not saying that it's anything like trying to avoid the Milwaukee Bucks or something like that. And if you're with the NBA Finals, I'd definitely say cheer on Boston, who the Rockets went 2-0 against this season, and both wins were comfortable, as opposed to the Bucks, who they were 0-2 against, and really caused James Harden some problems with their defense, really just an enhanced version of what we saw from the Jazz in round one. That could be a big deal in the East. As far as the West, I'd like to see Portland lose, but at the end of the day, Damian Lillard, he's great, but if the Rockets beat Golden State, there are no excuses barring injuries. They should be better than any of those other three. The really intriguing thing to me 
First off, I think the only team that I really worried about in the West, aside from Golden State, was Oklahoma City, and now they're done. They're gone. So as far as help on the other side of the bracket, that has already happened. That's the biggest priority. The other thing, besides celebrating Oklahoma City's loss, that I think we should be talking about more is the evolution of Damian Lillard. As I said, I still don't think Portland can beat the Rockets in a series, especially with Enos Cantor in the middle. We've seen what happens when he goes up against the Rockets, and I think they're able to exploit him. The Warriors would as well in ways that Oklahoma City and San Antonio would not be able to really exploit. Perhaps Denver, because they are pretty disciplined offensively with a lot of playmakers. I just think that Cantor in the pick and roll, Oklahoma City was not as disciplined to put him in the worst positions, whereas Houston, Golden State, they would be. So that's why, despite Lillard's exploits, I have a tough time without Yusuf Nurkic and now with Cantor in the middle, seeing Portland as a real threat. However, they definitely have earned respect. What they did in round one against Russell Westbrook and Paul George, two superstars, should not be forgotten. And one of the reasons that it's interesting in Houston, beyond just the fact they knocked Oklahoma City out of the playoffs, yes, that's a big deal, is also the evolution of Damian Lillard and what it should remind us about watching any star in the NBA, including James Harden. It's not worth it to go back through my timeline, but in the first half of Game 5, Rockets-Jazz last night, when Harden got off to a 1-of-11 start, my mentions were a dumpster fire. The vitriol directed at James Harden, who, by the way, was still competing on the defensive end. He was still trying to get his teammates involved. Just because he missed a few shots in less than one half of one game It was insane how the fan base of a team that won 65 games a year ago, won two playoff series, took the greatest team ever assembled, the Warriors, to seven, and now was up three games to one against a very good 50-win playoff team in the West, the Utah Jazz. All it took was less than half of one game to not only turn on Harden within the game, that's fair, he was playing poorly, and fortunately he did turn it around, made nine of his final 15 shots, had four blocks, three steals, six boards, contributed on both ends of the floor. He was clutch, all those things, just like in game three, started 0-15, but he scored 14 points in the fourth quarter and made 50% of his shots. So again, it's just half of one game, but as far as that half is concerned, yes, Harden deserved criticism. But what was really striking and ridiculous to me were how many people were trying to extrapolate that into a referendum on his entire career. And it's silly in Harden's case, the narratives are just could not be more detached from reality. People love a villain, and in this case, because Harden plays a style that's unconventional, then there are a lot of hot take shows, the first takes, the PTIs of the world that love to go in on Harden, and the clicks are good for ratings. It is what it is. I was just astounded by how many Rockets fans bought into it based on less than one half of one game after all the success that's come their way the last couple of years. But the really intriguing tweets that I got actually had multiple people come to me saying, why can't he give us 50 like Lillard did, pointing to Lillard's performance in the closeout game five the night before against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And what's interesting to me about that, do we really want Damian Lillard's playoff record? Last year, the last two years, actually, he was swept in the first round. He had not won a playoff game before this year since 2016. Last year, he lost four games to nothing to the New Orleans Pelicans, a series in which the Blazers had won 50 games and they had home court advantage. The Pelicans were not as good of a team. They just weren't. And not only did the Blazers lose the series, they didn't even win a game. What that should tell you, the Damian Lillard redemption story that's going on right now, is that 
we all need to take a deep breath and recognize that success does not come in a straight line. Players learn from their experiences. They bounce back. Also, the playoffs are hard. Nothing annoys me more than to see statistics compared from the regular season to the playoffs. Look, in the regular season, you're going up against teams like Phoenix, Atlanta, Chicago, many times second night of a back-to-back. And even if you do play the Warriors, they might be one of those moods where they just don't care. In the playoffs, you're going up against top-shelf defenses like Utah, like Oklahoma City, in the case of James Harden and Damian Lillard. And in the case of the Game 5 in each of them, they are desperate and playing for their playoff lives. Of course it's going to be harder and your numbers are going to inherently be less efficient when you're going up against defenses that are much better, much more focused, much more rested because there are no back-to-backs. Of course it's going to be harder in the playoffs. Everyone's numbers are nearly, there are some rare exceptions, but generally everyone's efficiency dips a little bit in the playoffs because the competition is way harder. That's just how the sport works. So in and of itself, the criticism is often baseless. I'm not saying you should be one of 11 like Harden was in game five, but he did turn around, made nine of his last 15, and it was fine. But even if he didn't, it's just one game. The point is, everyone has bad games or even bad series, including stars. We've seen LeBron James throw up single digits in an NBA Finals game that his team, a far superior Miami team to Dallas in 2011, lose. Damian Lillard, all of a sudden the guy that's the hero The last two years, he did not even win a single game. He went 0-8 in the first round in back-to-back years. James Harden is 29 years old. Damian Lillard is 28. These guys are not even 30. They may not even be to the halfway point of their careers. Take a deep breath. Not every game needs to be a referendum on their entire careers. That, to me, is what we should be taking out of the Damian Lillard redemption that's going on right now as it pertains to James Harden, Chris Paul, really any star in the NBA. Success is not going to be a straight line. You are going to have down moments. It's how you learn from them and how you respond that matters. And going into what's going to be a very high-stress series, likely against the Warriors in round two, to me, that's needed perspective. James Harden is not going to be perfect, but if he has a bad half, you can be frustrated. You don't have to shine a turd, so to speak. But you also don't have to make it a referendum on the guy's entire career. Take a deep breath, compose yourself, and give the guy an opportunity to redeem himself. He did in Game 5. He's done it plenty. And as far as Damian Lillard, really, he's redeeming himself for the last two years. Kudos to him for doing the same thing. So as far as what it means, personally, I'd like to avoid the Blazers if possible because I really like what Damian Lillard's doing and respect him. And he's definitely a daunting opponent, even if he's got Enos Kanter in the middle. Aside from that, though, I think what we should really be talking about is how Damian Lillard really is the perfect example of why we shouldn't rush to judgment. This guy who was 0 of 8 the last two years is now all of a sudden the toast of the NBA playoffs. That's how quickly it can change. That's how players can adapt. Kudos to Lillard for doing that. And just please remember, if you're a Rockets fan, yeah, James Harden can, has, and will do the same thing. Anyway, with that, that's where I'll break it on this Thursday. As always, I appreciate you guys so much for tuning in. And if you want more content before our next episode, the best place to stay in contact with me and the show is on Twitter. My handle is Ben Dubose, and the show's handle is at LockedOnRockets. Beyond that, we've got an email address, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com, a Facebook account at facebook.com slash LockedOnRockets, a website, LockedOnRockets.com. Always, you can access prior content. You can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, anything we can do to make this a better podcast experience for you, the diehard Rockets fan. 
As always, thanks for listening. And please remember that beyond just listening to this episode or any other, you can also subscribe to this show and get episodes delivered straight to your inbox via the new Himalaya Podcast app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And when you get in your car, you can also listen just by telling your smart device to play podcast Locked on Rockets. That'll do it for today's show on this Thursday, April 25th. As always, thanks for listening, and please come back soon for more episodes. By Saturday, we'll know whether the Rockets have their round two opponents set in the Golden State Warriors, which would then begin Sunday afternoon at Oracle Arena, or will it go on to a game seven? And at that point, the Rockets could conceivably be looking at the LA Clippers, not just the Warriors. I know it's a crazy scenario, but sometimes the world is crazy. So whatever happens, though, we will have more concrete intel this weekend. The Rockets return to practice on Friday. They'll have some media availability then. And then, of course, by Saturday, we'll know the opponent and potentially have a game one on Sunday. So we should have more episodes in the days ahead as we get more concrete analysis and intel heading into the round two series, whoever it is against and whenever it ultimately begins. For now, take some time off. The NFL Draft is tonight. The Astros have a four-gamer, a rematch of the AL playoffs last year against the Cleveland Indians. A lot of us can finally get some rest after a stressful round one because next week it's going to be very intense very soon. Anyway, with that, I'll sign off for today. As always, thanks for listening, and please come back soon for more episodes right here at Locked on Rockets, your home for daily commentary on everything Houston Rockets basketball.